welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs as well as CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if you mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. But today, though, I would like to introduce you to Bailey Milne, who is doing a PhD in epidemiology under the supervision of Dr. Susan Brogley and Dr. Maria Velez. Welcome to Grad Chat, Bailey. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's I, poor Bailey, I had to put her off at one stage because I had a bit of a cold and so I wasn't feeling the best. And then it was kind of like, well, Bailey, I still want to chat with you. So <laughs> will you do another time? So I really appreciate you coming in. Um, and, and fitting us into your schedule. So I really appreciate that. For sure, of course. <laughs> so you are working in the field of epidemiology, which, as I've said before, um, in the last few years, is a bit of a buzzword um, right now due to COVID-19, which we're still not out of it. What made you want to work in the area of, the big area of epidemiology? For sure. Um, I've always been interested in the study of diseases, uh, I just always thought they were really interesting, and I read a couple of books when I was younger, like contagion-type books. Oh, no, that would be um, a bit scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess they kind of imprinted on me. And when I was in undergrad, I had a professor who studied epigenetics and fetal programming, so kind oh, okay. of how the utero environment can affect outcomes of a fetus, in, um, like both short and long term. So that made me interested in like that aspect of epidemiology. So I um, just thought it'd be really interesting to look at um, different exposures during pregnancy and how that can lead to different outcomes of an infant. So yeah, that kind of brought me here. That's good. So did you do your master's here? Uh, no, I did my master's at Brock University. And so um, is this a sort of a continuation of the project you're doing now or...? What you did before, sorry? Yeah, it's pretty closely related. So I did a master's of public health. So it didn't have right. a thesis component, but it had a practicum component. Yes. And I did that at Newborn Screening Ontario. And I looked at critical congenital heart diseases in right. infants in Ontario. So the critical part of the heart disease is that they require surgery within 24 hours of life usually. Yes. It's a major structural defect. Uh, so, yeah, it's a similar field, health outcomes of infants. Right. So, Which yeah. is all very, very important. Yeah. So, I th- uh, <laughs> it's good that you're doing that. We need, we need more, as they say. <laughs> so, as with all research, you have a very specific area that you're working on, yours being the, as you kind of alluded to, the effect of infertility, mode of conception, and endometriosis on congenital anomalies. Why that section? Because you could have continued on with the heart defects. Why switch to the next area, which is more on the more of the mother side, is it as well as the baby? Yeah. So the exposure be like based on the in, like intrauterine environment. My supervisor, Dr. Brogley, approached me with this topic of looking at endometriosis as the exposure and the outcome as congenital anomalies. And so I started in the mini masters last year right and then I applied to promote to the PhD 
and to expand on the project that Dr. Brogley had um, come up with, uh, Dr. Velas suggested this mode of conception uh, component of it just to make it a bigger project like right. for the doctoral thesis. PhD worthy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of how that came to be. Yeah, so it was their, their ideas and I just thought it was really interesting and wanted to do it. So That's the hard part sometimes because I know some of our students come in and they have a very specific project that they want to work on but then others come in and their professors have, hey, I've got this project. I need more people to sort of mm -hmm. work on this part or this part, etc. So, do you feel you've had a bit of got a bit of both in there, a bit of what you want to do? Yeah, for sure. Um, when I had met with Dr. Brogley to ask if she had any openings for students, I told her like what I was interested in and stuff. So she obviously had that in mind when um, she good. came up with this uh, topic, which I'm really grateful for. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I could come up with. An entire project on my own, so can't be easy because there's so many areas, of course, that you can go into. So, what I would like to ask you now, I mean, there's a lot of areas that in that research topic, you know, infertility, mode of conception, endometriosis, congenital anomalies. So, I think, can we first of all go through and explain what some of these terms are to make sure we're all on the same page? For sure. So, what is what do you mean by infertility in this area? Um, so infertility is typically diagnosed when a couple has been trying to conceive for a year and they haven't been able to um, naturally. So there's really no physiological diagnosis of infertility. It's usually just like the time that they've been trying and haven't been able to. Um, that's usually used as like the diagnosis of it. Right. Um, so after that year, then it's usually suggested that they seek um, fertility treatment or like, you know, seek help for trying to conceive right right and so that comes up mode of conception mm -hmm. are you talking about natural or helped or both both yeah exactly so we'll be looking at all modes of conception so unassisted is just naturally trying to conceive um then there's in vitro fertilization which is probably the one that most people have mm -hmm. heard of um, there's also intrauterine insemination and a few different other variations that a physician will recommend based on the characteristics of the couple trying to conceive. Right. So, yeah. Lots of different areas there. <laughs> and endometriosis, can you just remind us what that is? Because I know a colleague of yours last year talked about endometriosis. Oh, yeah? Okay. So it's an inflammatory condition of the uterus. So it's when the endometrial tissue grows outside of the uterus rather right. than inside, and it can cause pain, and it's associated with infertility and, you know, painful menstruation, and yeah. And then what do you mean when you say congenital anomalies? What are they? Because this is, I'm assuming, in the baby then. Yep, exactly. conception. Yep. So the outcome we'll be looking at is, so it's a birth defect in the infant. We'll be looking at any defect. So usually they're broken down into, like, the system that they impact, for example. Um, so you're talking about, like, the other one you are talking about was the heart. Yeah. And it could be lungs, lungs or anything. Yeah, right. exactly. So it could be, you know, like, the reproductive tract defects or, like, a cleft palate defect. Right. A heart defect. So we will be looking at all of those and then seeing if there's a specific one that's impacted or, if, you know, there's a higher risk of all defects as a whole. So just get me make sure I'm understanding this. So you're looking at these defects, congenital defects, but the the start is that you've got a couple that was infertile having to have a, um, some help with conception, but the female also has endometriosis or just just one part of it? 
kind of to like visualize it, we usually talk about in epidemiology like the exposure and the outcome. Right. And then there's um, a middle component that you can look at called confounders or mediators. Um, so the expo- so those are mediators will just lie on the pathway of the exposure to the outcome. So it kind of is an intermediate step that can cause the outcome. So in my study, we'll be looking at the exposure as endometriosis. Okay. And then we're going to see if that's mediated by different modes of conception to see if those are the actual reason that there's an increased risk in congenital anomalies, for example, or if it doesn't increase the risk at all and it's just caused by the endometriosis or if there's just no risk either way. Wow, there's a lot of variables there, isn't mm-hmm. there, that you've got to look at? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do not envy you on that either. <laughs> so overall, I, I noticed in some of your information that you gave me, you talked about, you know, one in six Canadian couples have infertility issues. So where did you come up with that and then sort of pinpointing working in, looking at endometriosis? So what's the overall plan of this is to try and get those numbers to change or (laughs) yeah so I don't know if we'll be able to get the infertility numbers to change but I think we can help inform um, mothers who have both endometriosis and are looking to get treatment to see what the possible risks are for the infants that they conceive so should they continue because these the you got higher risk of getting uh, your kid having this defect yeah so Mm -hmm. if there is an increased risk yeah like I think it'd be important for you know couples to be informed of that And then if there is, like if mode of conception does increase the risk for women who have endometriosis, that might help the physician plan treatments or like fertility treatments for a woman with endometriosis. Like look at that as a different treatment pathway. Right. So everyone's being treated differently depending Mm -hmm. on what they're showing. Yeah. Which would be really, really important. Can I ask you one more thing? And I'm I'm probably (laughs) rushing ahead on too much. Um, the, The children... I don't know if you can say this or whether there's facts out there already. If, you know, the children who are getting congenital anomalies, is it more boys? Is it more girls? Is it one particular race? Is it other factors coming in? What, what's happening there? Yeah, so I think it's pretty evenly split on the sex-specific differences, but we'll definitely be looking that, at that in my study. So for my study, we'll be using the Institute of Clinical Evaluative Sciences data. So that's the health administrative data in Ontario. Oh, okay. And that's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it houses a lot of data. And so we'll be able to have a really strong study in terms of power. Um, but it doesn't capture race or ethnicity. So we won't be able right. to look at it from that lens directly. Um, but we can conduct uh, sensitivity analysis to see if there's an impact there Um, but I think that is the trouble or like a limitation with studying congenital anomalies in Ontario at least because we don't capture race data. Do the other provinces? Uh, I'm not sure actually I should look into that it'd be good to have some comparison data like look it up. Push Ontario so I'm gonna go and study that one because they've got more details. Yeah (laughs) yeah exactly. Because I think that's coming up more now isn't it it's mm -hmm. not just um, you know, male or female anymore. It's 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 bringing these other factors into being, which are, and even environmental factors, mm-hmm. which doesn't make any sort of study like this. What are the impacts of each of those different things? Because you've only mentioned a few, 
but there could be others that we're not even thinking of. Exactly, yeah. And, um, yeah, for example, like socioeconomic status, you might not think is a factor for these, but it could be. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be looking at, like, neighborhood quintiles. So, again, we don't have uh, data at an individual level, but we have, like, a neighborhood level of income. Okay, so it's on geographic areas. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good to know. So it can kind of be, like, a proxy Mm -hmm. um, to look at that. So, again, it's not a perfect measure, but, you know, if there's a really big increased risk for people in that area like there might be something else worth looking into there so well that's good (laughs) so some more very specific questions for you which I know you're going to be able to answer really well for me and you've alluded to this a little bit in the question I asked before so what is the state of infertility in Canada I know we said one in six when looking at the prevalence of congenital anomalies yeah so infertility affects one in six Canadian couples um, access to fertility treatment kind of varies by province since it's um, provincial health care. Um, but Ontario and Quebec are leading publicly funded infertility programs. Okay. Um, so that's good for that us good. in Ontario. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so in Ontario, it, it's covered by OHIP for the most part. Some fertility drugs oh, is that right? aren't covered. So there are some components that you do have to pay. But as a whole, fertility treatment is publicly funded so that really helps our study because Mm -hmm. the ICES data that we're using is based on billing codes so (laughs) that works out well to be able to study it that way yeah so (laughs) you get a pretty good picture then Mm -hmm. are you having to sift through that yourself or is there some sort of computer person that does it does all that and so you know here's a chunk of data (laughs) that you need to look at etc because I would hate the techo side. Yeah, exactly. So um, because it's a lot of personal health information, I couldn't just go and take it out myself. Confidentiality. Yeah, exactly. So ICES has data analysts at Queen's, actually. Okay. Data analysts for my study will pull... um, So you tell them what you're looking for? Exactly, And they'll pull it? Yep. Oh, that's handy. It is very handy, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, he's great. He's got my data finished already, so I can start looking at it. Wow. It makes it very simple for me. I do have to do some of like the data cleaning manually and some other coding and stuff, but he gives it to me aggregated, so right. there's no personal identifiers in it. So, yeah, it's easy that way. <laughs> That's good that you don't have to go out. I mean, that must have made things a lot easier on ethics approval and, mm-hmm. and things that... Yeah. You didn't have to go and get all of that because that's that's a long time. Yeah, exactly. So it's considered like a minimal risk study. Right. And so, you know, they can just put their stamp of approval on it as long as we're disseminating the data like in all the appropriate avenues. So So what are the main objectives then of your study and how will you accomplish it? Because, I mean, there's clearly a lot of data there for you to use. Mm -hmm. You know, where, where do you start and where do you finish? Because you don't want to go sideways either, do you? Because it would be a big project. <laughs> yeah, so we have three main objectives. The first one is to conduct a systematic review and meta-analysis to look at the association between infertility diagnosis and congenital anomalies. So okay. that section will be looking at that without fertility treatments. So just being diagnosed with infertility and the outcome of congenital anomalies. So we're going to be doing a systematic review for that. Uh, So just using published literature already. Right. And then the second objective is to estimate the effects of infertility and mode of conception on the development of congenital anomalies. So that's um, the part where we're looking at infertility as the exposure 
um, and to see if there's different effects based on which fertility treatment is used. Right. And then the last part is to conduct a mediation analysis to understand what the direct effect of endometriosis is on the outcome of congenital anomalies and the indirect effect of infertility treatment. So that's what be where we'll be using that like pathway. So you're doing the whole path and then you're splitting up bits mm-hmm. to show, well, if, if those two things aren't there and only this, what's the effect, yeah. et cetera? And is it just that or is it that? Yeah, so really trying to narrow it down to see what is like the specific cause of congenital anomalies or at least, you know, trying to make those causal inferences on the outcome. Can I ask... When you, because obviously some of this data is coming from perhaps doctors writing things in the patient records. How consistent are the doctors' documentation? Because I know we all, you know, for some people it's a potato and someone says potato, <laughs> and, and even though it's the same thing, it's it can be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. So who who does that part to make sure that? An orange is an orange and not an, an apple. Yeah, so ICS is really great at that, making sure the data captures uh, what it's intended to, so they validate the data. Right. And so the database that I'm using captures 98% of uh, live births in Ontario, oh, okay. and it's been validated and used in many studies. So, yeah, we're lucky in that ICS uh, makes sure that the data is capturing what they says That's they good. say it is <laughs> otherwise you don't want people disputing it do you yeah exactly particularly after all the work you're doing on it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so how will the research objectives be carried out because I mean, it's, to me it sounds like a, there's a lot of data analysis I mean I, do you like math or is that, <laughs> I mean I know epidemiologists work with a lot of numbers yeah so how does what is your part in, in doing this yeah so definitely stats heavy and I do like stats uh, I think it's really important to learn but yeah so I'll be doing the data analysis on this and then of course my supervisors will make sure that I'm doing it right <laughs> <laughs> but the data analyst at ICS is also a great resource if I have any questions about the coding or anything right. like that but yeah I'll be the main one doing the data analysis for it so you have to come up with some coding yourself as well I, I do <laughs> which will be I'm not super great at it I uh, it's definitely a weakness <laughs> of mine but I think by the end of four years hopefully I'll be better at it well I mean you've got like you said you've got people you can go to to mm-hmm. sort of say uh, uh, that's not going to work <laughs> yeah and luckily enough it's taught um, the program that we use for this data analysis right. is taught in the first year courses that oh, that's handy. Um, we had to do. So, yeah, definitely handy that way to that get some... That's one of those classes you do not miss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> As you're going forward. <laughs> so with your with your research, I'm sorry I keep going back to this word research, I, you know, what is the potential impact then? Yeah, so um, I think it'll be important to have women make informed decisions about their like reproductive choices and so if there is that increased risk like I think it's important that they're aware of it and like I mentioned for the physicians making um, like the informed treatment plan if there is an increased risk um, based on endometriosis and a different type of fertility treatment just to kind of lower the risks like they're pretty rare diseases congenital anomalies as a whole are pretty rare but obviously you know if we can get it as close to zero as possible yes that would be best for the infants so yeah. It's interesting, though, um, 
I'm just trying to sort of think about this with there's so much going on between you know what can happen in a woman's body yeah and then the end res- and then carrying a child to term etc and then what happens in that time frame because other things can happen apart from endometriosis yeah. and then the congenital unfortunately getting s- some children with congenital anomalies I mean, I know you mentioned some of the congenital anomalies. Are there certain ones that right now, even with the short stuff that you've done already, that you can say uh, endometriosis and some of those modes of conception has no effect? Because how do you know what the effect is because of those things for the anomaly and it's not something else? Yeah, exactly. So that's uh, definitely going to be a challenge and we're going to be looking at different uh, confounding variables, so variables that affect both the exposure and the outcome, um, to see if there is another reason why infants are getting congenital anomalies. Uh, so, for example, maternal age. Right. The risk of congenital anomalies increases with maternal age. And so we'd definitely be looking at these confounding variables, but congenital anomalies typically develop in the first trimester. Oh, so thanks. it really shortens that window of exposure you know, to three months, which again, like, of course, anything can happen in those three months. But yeah, so I think that really narrows things down, at least like causally to see what is actually like causing these congenital anomalies. But yeah, there are definitely confounding variables. So it's it's also interesting, too, because you talked about the first trimester, which we know is the most important, as you said, the most important part. And that's either kind of you're going to con- carry to term or you're not going to carry yeah. to term. And, that kind of thing but there's also with all the new technology too of finding out is there already an anomaly mm-hmm. and is it going to be one for instance the heart defect where it's highly likely this child is not going to survive unless they have multiple operations at birth yeah so are you also hoping to say and maybe not because I'm sure it could be very controversial at what point do we say an, an, an anomaly is is not good yeah and, and therefore the parents have to make a decision exactly yeah I think um I don't know if that will fall within the scope of my research but I definitely think it'd be important you know if they are aware that there is an increased risk based on the risk factors that they have mm-hmm. um to monitor that carefully and then yeah if there is a congenital anomaly that is you know likely to mm-hmm. like decrease survivability kind of thing of the infant you know they can make that informed decision which is not easy on any family to have to make a decision that way or even go to full term and know that the child may not have a good chance of surviving. Yeah, exactly, for sure. I would never hope to be put in that position, for sure. I couldn't imagine what that would be like. So what year are you in right now of your PhD? Technically first year of the PhD. Right, so you're very early into it, which is great. So I'm sure that, you know, within a couple of years you'll have even more information that you can sort of bring forward because I I imagine with something like this you may think it's oh this is pretty easy just do a bit of data analysis but there's more to it isn't there (laughs) just type some things in my computer there's outcomes that have a big impact Mm -hmm. doesn't it and so are you hoping also with whatever you come um, find out from your study that it not only just helps the the mother or the, the the parents themselves, but also the doctors and the clinics and all that. Are you hoping it's more than just having an impact on one person? Yeah, for sure. I think it'd be useful, like I mentioned, if there is this increased risk or an association 
like an interaction between endometriosis and a specific type of fertility treatment, definitely like disseminating that information to fertility clinics, for example, mm-hmm. like would help physicians like with their recommendations for fertility treatment and stuff. I think it'd be useful for right. um, many clinics in, in well, mostly Ontario, but obviously like it'd be like a biological effect, not specific to just Ontario. So right. it could be applicable to more locations. And will the sort of, are you creating like a model that you can work on? Because um, normally with models, you can sort of transfer it to something else and go, well, use this as a base and then change it around accordingly, depending on what the new variables are. So we'll definitely be making like a, a regression model to see what, so we'll be adding in those confounding variables that I mentioned right. like, or in covariates. So if there's one in a different geographical location that um, other researchers might think may play a role in the relationship, they mm-hmm. could, you know, use a similar model to understand the risks for like that specific context. I've got another question. <laughs> the mind is going all over the place here. <laughs> so sorry about that. Luckily, you're very patient with me. Thank you. So I'm looking at this. We've got a, a, a female who has infertility issues, or it may not be her, it could be a partner. <laughs> you, know, you never know. She's also got endometriosis. And then she's using some form of infertility treatment or motor conception mm-hmm. to help her get pregnant. Maybe I got this wrong. I know you sort of say you're looking at this and this, but you're looking at the big picture first and then saying, well, what happens if we take this away? Or if we take endometriosis away, is it st- still having the same effect? In which case, if that's the case, then maybe it's the mode of conception. Mm-hmm. Are you doing it that way? So looking at the whole, taking apart, putting it back, taking away another part, putting it back. Yeah. I think that's what you said, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, just kind of trying to disentangle the relationships mm-hmm. to see what is truly having the effect, if there is one. Yeah, I think that's a great way to okay, describe it. Okay, that's good. It. And then... Of course, for instance, with the modes of conception, because some of it can be assisted. Yeah. If you find some of those, hey, this ain't too good, <laughs> well, they get p- pulled the plug. We'll put put forward to say, you know, this is not a good situation. <laughs> like put like put forward to like the medical community. Medical community. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, the classic one, and it's not to do with this, but thalidomide. Was it thalidomide, mm, right? Yeah. And the results of that. Yeah. And then they f- suddenly found out, hey, this is. It might have helped one thing, but it's, it's created another problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was definitely a wrong term. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I, I, I know what you meant. Yeah, for sure. I think, well, there's like a birth defects registry okay. of teratogen, so chemicals that increase the risk of uh, developing a congenital okay, anomaly. Right, right. So I think if there truly is that big of an increased risk, it'd be worth you know putting forward I think there need to be more studies like in different locations to make sure like there's consistent Mm -hmm. effects but yeah I think going that route might be helpful too right Mm. lots to do for (laughs) you okay well (laughs) yeah you've got a big project (laughs) but I'm really I'm I'm sure you know the women and the families out there would be really happy to see what comes out of this Mm -hmm. and including the medical community because I'm sure they want to always do the best for their patients and yeah. things so and of course making sure that we have children that have every opportunity to have a happy healthy yeah. happy, healthy life yeah exactly for sure now with that though I mean this clearly hasn't put you off you volunteer at the children's hospital to help in the NICU yeah so um 
as I mentioned, I, I work at Newborn Screening Ontario. So that's housed at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. Okay, right. So I think most hospitals right now are really struggling with staffing, um, yes. considering COVID and RSV and all the other things going on. So they put out a general call for employees of CHEO to see if there's anybody who can, you know, lend an extra hand. That's great. So, and you've gone into the NICU, though, the ones with the little babies that need a bit more help. <laughs> yeah, so um, I don't do much. I just try to help feed them Nice. <laughs> as long as I don't have too many wires uh, hooked up to them. So, yeah, I usually just am working Friday nights overnight and helping feed them. So, oh, yeah. that's really nice. I mean, <laughs> do you find, and maybe this is unfair to ask, do you find you're in the NICU and you're sort of helping doing a, a specific thing like helping feed – but you do you see okay this is part of this could be part of my study that kind of thing or you know what's happening you know, <laughs> not saying that these kids have been sick or anything but are they showing something I mean first of all they're probably preemie and mm-hmm. that kind of thing yeah so it definitely gets the wheels spinning and obviously like I go in and I have no idea what these infants are facing or why they're there I just go in and help where I can because I'm not in the circle of care so I have no right. need to know but yeah I definitely and Chio is a, re- a teaching hospital, right. so there is a lot of research happening there as well. So it's really interesting. You see some flyers up sometimes about different research projects, and it's like, right. oh, that's really interesting. Like, I wonder what they're doing. Or that's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. And it's so good that you're doing that because you're right. Our hospitals at the moment are drastically understaffed, and we all know why because they're plum tuckered out, as I say. <laughs> they need yeah. a bit more help. Exactly. And then again, on the flip side, you, you like training your puppy. What kind of dog do you have? I love dogs. <laughs> so I think she's a golden retriever. I got her on Kijiji. I love it. Think. <laughs> she's a little bit. Of, she looks like a little bit of a mix of something because right. she's quite um, red and she has a white spot on her. So oh. I don't think she's a purebred, no. but either way, I don't care. She's cute. Yeah, exactly. It was uh, an impulsive decision. I saw her on Kijiji and I right. texted my mum. And we picked her up that Friday. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> so she's um, turning one this Friday. Cute. So obviously I have to throw her a birthday party. Absolutely. And spoil her in gifts. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have kids, but I spoil my dog too. So uh, it's, it's really nice. And that must be a nice bit of a relief too. Just, I, mean, I always find animals are a great way of relaxing and mm-hmm. getting things into perspective. Exactly, yeah. You know, she needs to be walked and stuff so it gets me outside and gets me out of my head kind of thing and away from the computer and does she understand all the numbers you're talking to her about (laughs) i'm not sure she just kind of tugs at my arm when she's ready to play (laughs) being like okay that's enough uh work for today let's go i love it i love it well best of luck with her she's gonna have a great time with you i'm sure (laughs) it's good to have those things on the side to sort of break up your schooling mm-hmm. so that's good yeah so Bailey we've come to the end um <laughs> thank you I mean this like I said this is a big project that you're doing but a, a worthwhile project of course and even though you're not sort of physically with the patients etc you're doing some fabulous work on the on the back end which is probably the hard part <laughs> of trying to figure out how all this works with each other so thank you very much for sharing that with us and I wish you the very best in the next couple of years as you've put it all together. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. <laughs> good, good. See, it wasn't scary at all, was it? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> See, I love it. That is great. Well, thank you.
So that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.